You know what Jeff Bezos once said about customers? They are always beautifully, wonderfully dissatisfied, even when they report being happy and business is great. He's right. Of course he is. He's Jeff. It's really difficult keeping customers happy, but one tool that can make a difference is Klaviyo. You can use Klaviyo to send texts and emails to customers, like a welcome series when they sign up, telling them when stuff is back in stock, shipping updates, exclusives for VIPs, discounts for bargain shoppers. You name it, they've got it. The reason Klaviyo just works is they make it really easy to segment your customers and send targeted messages to the right segments at the right time to drive your business forward. If you're in e-commerce and don't use Klaviyo, you're missing out on revenue. Learn more at klaviyo.com slash big. That's klaviyo, K-L-A-V-I-Y-O dot com slash big, B-I-G. Whilst Big Spender's Chinese trial is ongoing, it's reported that 150 servicemen, a mixture of paramilitary and police, have surrounded the court building. There are snipers on the rooftops. Armoured cars, said to be equipped with water cannons and tear gas, are stationed nearby. Officers armed with semi-automatic submachine guns are posted at 10-meter intervals all the way around the building. The Chinese authorities are keeping proceedings tightly guarded. Which begins to beg the question, what exactly is going on inside? Human rights group Amnesty International voices concern that the trial is taking place in secret, preventing the public and foreign reporters from attending. They issue a statement saying that the trial goes against global standards of fairness and transparency. According to Chinese and international law, trials not involving state secrets and minors should be public. Yet, at Big Spender's trial, only government-appointed visitors are allowed to sit in the public gallery. These visitors occupy about half the court's 500 seats. Bizarrely, the rest of the space appears to be occupied with schoolchildren kids who've been taken to the trial to watch what happens when someone breaks the rules. There are some hallmarks of normal legal etiquette, but as the days roll on, the trial increasingly begins to look like a charade. The South China Morning Post publishes a story with the headline, Justice on Trial in Big Spender Case. Public outrage mounts. Journalist Richard Cook again. Big Spender was taken out of the Hong Kong legal system and placed into the mainland Chinese legal system. And it didn't follow convention. Big Spender's lawyers and other human rights groups campaigned to get the trial moved back to Hong Kong. They argue that mainland China has no jurisdiction over crimes committed in Hong Kong. When the legal argument was put forward by his lawyer that if the if the charge was kidnapping Victor Lee, then that was an offence that was committed in Hong Kong, so he should be deported to Hong Kong and tried in Hong Kong. It was brushed aside by China because they said there were multiple offences um, and some of those offences, the kidnapping offences, had been planned in China, so it was a, 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 a mainland China crime. Big Spender's wife also tries to get the trial moved. She'd made some pleas outside the courthouse you know, my husband doesn't deserve this. Can he please have a trial in Hong Kong, etc., etc.? She was on TV a lot, and she was in newspapers, especially the, the local Chinese-language Hong Kong newspapers, pleading in any way that she could. But despite these entreaties, the Chinese courts refuse. It was a big no. 
he weren't going anywhere. Big Spender has become a pawn in a much bigger game. It's since been said that that trial was the first trial where it was clear that Hong Kong wouldn't be in charge of its destiny. From Kindling Media and Vespucci, you're listening to Bad Money, a show about wealth, power and wrongdoing. I'm Jason Wong. This season, Big Spender. Episode 6, Guilty Until Proven Innocent. After only nine days, the judge, a man nicknamed Iron Fist, finds Big Spender and his men guilty of everything. Kidnapping, robbery, smuggling weapons and ammunition, smuggling explosives. Big Spender is briefly stunned by the ruling, but it's not long before he kicks into gear again. He submits a 32-page letter of appeal to the court. In it, Big Spender seeks dismissal of the case on the grounds that the Chinese courts have no jurisdiction over crimes committed in Hong Kong and that he can't be found guilty of kidnapping if the victims haven't reported anything. The letter also argues that any claim that Big Spender's crimes were planned in China can't be substantiated. Six Hong Kong-based human rights groups also send a petition to Chinese President Jiang Jiamin asking him to grant amnesty to Big Spender. Tong remembers the frenzy of activity that followed. No emotion. Some of them are Hong Kong people. They think the system is very similar to Hong Kong. They may be acquitted. Big Spender knows it's a long shot, but he thinks the appeal might work. He's done this before. He can do it again. A lot of people watching. Even for the appeal, his wife also attended the, the appeal. You know, the case is quite big, so a lot of people like uh, to go to the court for the hearing. On the day of the final appeal, Big Spender's wife makes an appearance at court. It's the first time she's seen her husband since his arrest nine months ago. Big Spender is wearing a big blue overcoat that his wife bought for him. It's a small reminder of his family, as he stands surrounded by security awaiting the court's decision. There's time for a few final statements. Some of Big Spender's associates, men who've previously confessed to their crimes, are brought back into court. They say they were punched, punched by police and not allowed them to sleep. So they forced to give uh, admissions. They describe in grisly detail how they've been beaten by prison guards. They talk about being tortured and claim their feet have been shot with electric batons. Court just say we consider the evidence is, is, is more than enough and the punishment is, uh, is appropriate. That's all. They just give the verdicts. At the end of the hour and a half long hearing, the judge reads out the verdict for each of these gang members. Finally, he gets the big spender. For the crime of kidnapping and smuggling weapons, Jiang Zikyong is deprived of political rights for life. Big Spender will have hundreds of millions of dollars of property confiscated and is sentenced to life imprisonment. For the crime of illegally buying and selling explosives, Big Spender is sentenced to death. So he say become white and he cannot 
work properly. So he was taken out of the courtroom by two uh, two uh, court police. Uh, he take out of courtroom and then take to a, a secret place to do the execution. On December 5th, 1998, at 11.30 a.m., less than an hour after the appeal concludes, Big Spender and four fellow gangsters are led to an execution ground. A few police officers are handed pistols. They drape black hoods over the gangsters' heads. And then they shoot 43-year-old Big Spender, Jong Zikyong, in the head. After the execution, reporters and the public alike struggle to make sense of what happened. How, with flimsy evidence and dubious jurisdiction, was Big Spender tried and executed so quickly? Richard Cook has a theory. Lee Kai-shing, because of who he was, so let's call him Asia's richest man. His connections in Beijing would be second to none. They would be unrivaled. Big Spender pissed off some of the most powerful people in Hong Kong if not the world. And those people have friends in high places. He could pick up the phone and talk to just about anyone he wanted, at, at whatever level, in China. So Lee Ka Singh may not have reported the kidnapping of his son to Hong Kong police or the media. But there may have been other ways he could have made sure Big Spender wasn't going to humiliate his family or put them in danger again. This is all conjecture. But Richard says... I imagine he spoke to the very top and said, I want this dealt with. And in China, this isn't a, a process. This doesn't come, go through some courtroom or through a series of police officers. If Li Kaixing would have made that call, then this, the next call to happen would have been someone very high in the Public Security Bureau to say, get Big Spender, get him on trial, as simple as that. Remember that moment when the Hong Kong police almost had Big Spender, but then suspiciously decided to lay off? The assumption is that someone senior in Hong Kong police was was called by someone very senior in Beijing and told to, to let this guy slip over the border. By Cook's account, Li Ka Singh may have wanted revenge, although Li denies striking a deal with the authorities. They decided to act. That guy was going to be tried on their territory. He wasn't going to go through a Hong Kong court and maybe get off on a legal slip. They were going to try him and they were going to shoot him. Words away from innocence until proven guilty. It was almost the other way around. Big Spender's execution sets a chilling precedent that Hong Kong citizens can be tried in China for crimes committed in Hong Kong or elsewhere. So the fact that that happened meant that it could happen again. And now it wouldn't raise an eyebrow. Now it's completely commonplace. Despite the promise at the time of the handover that Hong Kong would maintain a high degree of autonomy, it seems that Big Spender's execution was the thin end of the wedge for a new form of Chinese rule. China made a clear statement. And there was no going back. So we have the top three editors of essentially the most feisty pro-democracy newspaper uh, in the city uh, being arrested and charged with publishing articles uh, that violated Hong Kong's new national security law. Demonstrations began in June over plans for a law allowing the extradition of criminal suspects to mainland China. Hundreds of thousands packed the streets of downtown Hong Kong as police fired as many as 87 cans of tear gas. 
determined demonstrators shielding themselves with umbrellas and spawning the so-called umbrella revolution. They were bleeding, they were, you know, they had tear gas in their eyes. Uh, we just want, we just want the world to know that we're angry, that the police use uh, un unruly brutality against us. Boy has been appealing for her father's release since 2015 when she said that he disappeared while in Thailand. Months later, he appeared on Chinese state TV saying he voluntarily handed himself over to Chinese authorities. Activists believe Gui, a Swedish national, was detained by China for publishing books critical of Beijing. My father, a Swedish citizen, he was abducted by Chinese state agents from a third sovereign country, is still in unofficial and illegal detention somewhere in China without access to consular visits or legal representation. Fast forward to today, and the 1997 promise of Hong Kong's freedom seems like a distant illusion. I'm Chongqing Kuang. I am a Hong Kong-born and raised political and digital rights activist currently living in self-imposed exile in London. Chongqing fled Hong Kong in 2020 after her colleague was arrested in Hong Kong and life became too risky for activists like her. If I go back to Hong Kong right now, I will definitely be arrested right away. And um, I will be put into jail and subject to life imprisonment. From afar, Chongqing has been campaigning for Hong Kong's autonomy and speaking out against China's tightening grip on Hong Kong. From legislation that threatens freedom of expression to changes to the national curriculum denouncing democratic values. The German parliament petition that I did was a petition that received more than 50,000 signatures calling for the German government to impose sanctions against Hong Kong and Chinese officials that are involved in human rights violations in Hong Kong. It's a controversial mission. There will be like people inboxing you with quite nasty messages, threatening to kill you, rape you and cursing that all your family members died and so on and so forth. And I've received threats from um, someone who claimed to be a civil servant in Hong Kong uh, on like texting me saying that, oh, if you still want to go back to Hong Kong, you better stop what you were doing. And the Chinese Communist Party is the greatest party in the world. You should support it and stop being a race traitor and so on. This is, this is something that they would call me. Although Chongqing was only a year old at the time of the Hong Kong handover and too young to remember Big Spender's story firsthand, she remembers experiencing Hong Kong's autonomy slowly waning as she grew up. As time went on, she says the Hong Kong government effectively became a puppet regime run by the Chinese state. It began to impose things like national security laws, allowing the government to surveil and harshly punish anyone who supposedly threatened national security. The bar is super low that they can basically put everybody under surveillance if they want to. They don't even need a court order to intercept communications. All data collected in Hong Kong of Hong Kongers can actually be transferred to China without any restrictions and any check and balance. And imagine all of the CCTV footage collected by different parties. They can actually be legally transferred to China. They can also require online service providers or internet service providers to provide user data to them under the national security law. And failing to comply would be a criminal offence. Beijing also ruled against universal suffrage in Hong Kong in August 2014, prohibiting the people of Hong Kong from electing their own political leaders. Their proposal was they are going to handpick a candidate for us 
and then Hong Kongers will go out to the polling station and vote for that candidate, which doesn't make any sense because if the candidate is already being handpicked, it doesn't actually is democratic. This particular political change sparked uprisings across the country, known as the Umbrella Revolution. Protests escalated even further following the introduction of a bill which would allow people in Hong Kong to be extradited and tried in mainland China. Hong Kong uses the common law system, which follows like British tradition and has a very different legal threshold. Like we, we assume innocence until the court finds someone's guilty. But in China, they use continental law, and which means that they, the, the defendant will have to prove themselves uh, not guilty and innocent in order to, to, to like walk out of court free, uh, walk out of the court freely. Under the national security law, anyone who is deemed a threat can be deported to mainland China and tried under mainland law. It's as if the Chinese government have taken the tactics they used on Big Spender and enshrined them into law. A law which, by the way, applies to everyone in the world. If you set foot in Hong Kong or any Chinese territory, you could be deported to China and face prosecution there. People are being extradited or face the risk of being kidnapped or being threatened to, to, be, uh, to go back to China or else their family would be subjected to like, inhumane treatments and so on. It's why Chung Ching doesn't talk about the people close to her anymore. My friends and loved ones that are still in Hong Kong, like their safety can, can be compromised because of me. Like, for example, if they got stopped and searched on the street by police and then they were asked to unlock their phones to look into who they're communicating with. And if I came up in the contact list or the contents of our conversation are being seen by police and authorities, then they might get into trouble. In 1998, to the outside world, Big Spender's trial might have seemed like a suitable ending to a salacious story. A notorious criminal finally gets his comeuppance. But what nobody realized at the time, at least not with any degree of certainty, was how significant his case would prove to be. In many ways, it foreshadowed Hong Kong's current day struggle for autonomy and democracy in the face of growing authoritarianism from China. It's not something Big Spender could have anticipated. He never cared much for politics. But now, he can't escape this part of his political legacy. Whatever side of the moral debate you stand on when it comes to Big Spender's misdeeds, his life and death are now an irrevocable part of Hong Kong's history. But it wasn't just Big Spender who got caught up in the world of billionaires, crime and politics. Questions remain about what happened to the money he took and where his family are now. In fact, his wife disappeared completely. She's kept a low profile since the 1990s. To this day, we don't know where she is. At the time, there were rumours that she'd slipped away to Thailand. Um, there was still a lot of wealth sloshing around. You know, there was a lot of money and I don't think anyone outside of their close circle would know where she is now. I think there's every reason for her to, to stay hidden. There was a lot at stake. She's a very smart lady. I believe she's the ringleader. Yeah, her husband just a, you know, the actor, the follower. She's a, she planned everything. As for Big Spender, 
we'll likely never know what his motivations were. Why he did what he did, what he truly believed, what kept him going for so long. All we know for certain is that, until his dying day, he was obsessed with wealth. The kind of wealth only men like Lee Kar Singh could offer. As he told a reporter during one of his final interviews, If you don't have money, then there's nothing you can do. But you can't live without money. When a person is born into this world, it's essential to have money. Do you know how tough life would be without money? The reporter asks, What do you think you have done wrong this time? What have I done wrong? It's difficult to say. In our world, money and power reinforce each other. And that combination allows some people to transcend scrutiny. Big Spender knew this better than anyone. He amassed a lot of money. But he was never really above the law. Meanwhile, billionaires who rack up wealth legitimately are often able to deploy their influence in troubling ways with few consequences. So, who's the bad guy? At the end of the story, when the castle falls, do we blame the kings? Or the soldiers trying to break down the walls? Whose actions will be remembered as crimes? There are no easy answers. But one thing's for certain. Money has no trouble sleeping at night. Big Spender is a production of Kindling Media and Vespucci and is narrated and hosted by me, Jason Wong. The series producer is Mira Kumar. The story editor is Mira Sharma. Thomas Curry is the managing producer. For Kindling Media, the executive producers are Will Stoneman, Ruth Edwards, Rich Martel, and Dan Murray Serta. For Vespucci, the executive producers are Daniel Turkin, Johnny Galvin, and Matt Willis. Original music, audio mix, and sound design by Dominic Gozo. Special thanks to Pete Sale and Yu Pang, George Chan. <laughs> <laughs>